Well, folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. And we are now into May, which is very exciting. Um, We had like a ridiculous April in Colorado. I'm just going to be honest about it. We had snow. I don't even know how many days, but I was over it. And so grateful for May. And so um, anyway, I just need to say that from where I'm sitting. That said, later on for the inbox, we have a listener who's asking, is it wrong if you are dating even though you're not ready to get married? So one of our counselors is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, J.P. Pakluda is back to share more insights from his new book, Why Do I Do What I Don't Want to Do? Well, it's going to be a follow up to last week's conversation and we will have fun with it. So stay tuned for that. And here we are for our roundtable and another great conversation around social media. I don't know how many of you listening have tried to do a detox from social media. It's kind of the thing du jour. And I feel like it's something that a lot of people talk about and then very few people actually do it um, or do it successfully. So we're going to have a little conversation around the table today with my friends, Casey, Ryan, and John. Hey, y'all. Hello. Good to have you here. About, is it possible to do this? Have we tried it? Have we succeeded? Have we done partials? (laughs) What is this? What does this look like? So um, I'm going to kind of start the conversation. I actually am, um, I'm doing a book right now with a friend. In fact, she gave it to me for Christmas, which I was moderately offended by by. Um, But then she said, no, I bought a copy for myself and we're going to do this together. And I think it's called Life Unplugged. And it's about it's actually exercises of working through a digital detox, because do you ever sit around? Maybe I'll ask this to the table with people who talk about their time spent on their phone, the app there. And they're like, oh, my goodness, like today it was three hours. And I'm like regularly clocking in at around nine. And so (laughs) there's some judgment and offense in that. And so I don't know, where do you guys, have you guys looked at that lately or where do you, where do you fall in that spectrum? Yeah. At the beginning of the year, I was noticing I was spending probably six or seven hours a day on social media. Oh, wow. And like I'm, my, Casey, I those... I'm just talking about phone altogether. So you're much worse than I am. Oh. So I already feel like I'm talking wow, about even with like my judged. work related things. OK, so thank you. Yeah. for. OK, go ahead. Well, my phone would say it, it has that lovely notification every week of you yeah. were up two and a half hours last week every day. I said, yep. That's impossible because I only spent so much time. But yeah, I realized I needed to fill my life with healthier habits mm-hmm. and I am definitely an all or nothing person, so I have to kind of be pretty much all in with social media before I feel the need to back off from social media, if that makes sense. So yeah, I, I get where you're coming from, Lisa. Okay. I had that same same problem. Okay. How about uh, Ryan or John? Have either of you been shocked like when you've had notifications of how much time you're spending on social or similar apps? What do you think? It's funny because the screen time calculation comes in to me on Sunday morning. It's usually when I'm at church. Mm, nice. <laughs> so then I get the notification, hey, you spent this much amount of time on your phone this past week. And lately I've been better about not getting on social media for the most part, unless Mm -hmm. there's some reason that I have to be on it Mm -hmm. after work. But the thing that gobbles up a lot of my time or that I've let gobble up a lot of my time has honestly been music because I love listening to music. And so sometimes I'll just put on one song and then 
one song turns into 10 and one <laughs> and then 10 turns into 20 and so <laughs> okay yeah right now uh, i'm really having to cut back because this past sunday i was checking my fantasy lineup for the nascar race nonstop, and i probably spent five hours on my phone this past sunday which was not cool yesterday i spent two okay so i cut oh, it down some success. okay so you're saying that like nascar season is going to send you over the the edge as far as that you'll be able to ratchet it back once this ends which doesn't happen till November. <laughs> oh, so. excellent. Okay, so <laughs> you'll have a good three in, months of the year you can go You're involved after. in basketball, uh, football, any of that as Football, well? yes. Basketball, yeah. not quite as much. I do watch basketball playoffs, and I love March Madness, which has already happened now. But, okay. um, yeah, and plus two, the thing I'm guilty of is I'll be checking my fantasy lineup, and I'm texting three people at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. The whole that multitasking can, universe yeah, is, is That'll rough. gobble up so much time. Okay. Ryan, what about you? What are your social social habits or non? So I don't have phones that care about my addiction health uh, like these two. Uh, <laughs> I never got any notifications of my screen time usage oh, uh, or my wow. uh, social media apps. Okay. Uh, that happened when I just decided to do an audit because I wanted, I there was many things I wanted to do and I was just convinced I didn't have enough time in the day to do them. Mm-hmm. So I started doing an audit to see where that, that time could be going. And when I looked at my phone, Sometimes I was spending close to 10 hours a day on my phone. Wow. And I don't know how that's possible because I was doing other <laughs> stuff. So I'm assuming like YouTube was playing in the background or something was happening. Yeah. But. Well, this is where I justify it a little bit because I know that that clocks every time you touch or pick up your phone. Mm-hmm. And I use mine really, unless I'm wearing a watch, which I am today, I will often look at my phone for that. I'm constantly checking my calendar. Where do I have to be next? What am I doing? So it really is just it walks with me throughout the day to just like manage my whole life. So I feel a little justified in that until I start talking about the social media, which I will do in a moment. But go ahead, continue. So you're finding you want to do other things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now this, to be fair, this was a couple years ago. Okay. So I'm I'm a recovered addict now. Okay. Uh, but that was, yeah, I know it's, it was a hard journey. <laughs> um, but in doing that audit and finding out where all of my hours were going in the day, mm-hmm. that was very shocking to me because it looked like I was spending more time on social media than I was doing pretty much anything else besides sleeping. Mm-hmm. Now, that may not have been true, but that's what it felt like. And so that's kind of what prompted me to make some changes. Okay. All right. So let's talk about what platform has been the most egregious for you. So what what's your big trap when it comes to social media or even a portion of a platform? Where's your Where's your hang up? Uh, John, why don't you start this one? Mine is definitely YouTube. I'm a very visual person. Okay. And so I mentioned earlier that I really like music and I think their music selection is fantastic. Mm. So I have to be very, very careful. I've even set it up to where now I won't even go on YouTube unless I'm, say, watching it on a TV with a friend. This was actually pretty convicting because two of my best friends that I roomed with for a few months before I moved out here, I specifically remember not long after I moved out, we were on a FaceTime call, and I admitted I was spending so much time on YouTube, and one of them told me, that's a little funny because you and I used to watch YouTube together all the time, but since you moved out, I don't even have it on anymore. So that was an indicator to me. <laughs> you were oh, the wait. instigator of yeah, it all. Yeah, okay. I was. <laughs> okay, makes sense. How about you, Ryan? YouTube again for me as well. Okay. Um, specifically YouTube Shorts. It mm. is so easy to start doing what I call doom scrolling, mm-hmm. where you just you swipe from one thing to the next. YouTube Shorts used to be TikTok as well. Uh-huh. Um, and you yeah. got off TikTok, you said. I, I did, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Short form videos, I'm... 
I'm just a, I'm a sucker for them. Okay. So how do you stay away? Do you not have Facebook because you stay away from reels then? Cause that's the TikTok. You uh, know? Well, to be perfectly honest, Facebook reels just has never had enough addicting content for me. Okay. <laughs> so Facebook reels is not that hard to stay away from. Instagram reels is more like memes. So it's kind of easy. It's a little okay. bit easier to regulate that, but like TikTok, YouTube shorts. Okay. It's too much Interesting. for me. Interesting. All right, Casey. Well, TikTok is definitely the primary offender for me, <laughs> uh, meaning multiple hours a day starting in 2020. So maybe two to three hours a day on that alone. Mm. And for me, it starts as a functional thing to use because you, you get the algorithm working and you, somehow I'm on Gen Z fashion TikTok and I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm a millennial, so I'm really out of it. So I need to watch all the other videos about how out of fashion I am. <laughs> so it gets me down the rabbit hole and it, it actually I can justify it to myself because it really is helping me. Yeah. But then there's a point where I'm saying, oh, you know, now I'm just comparing myself to all these Gen Z um, influencers. <laughs> I can't yeah. do that. So I actually set a timer on TikTok alone for 30 minutes a day. Wow. And once it hits 30 minutes, it, it notifies me. And about half the time, I ignore it. But <laughs> <laughs> um, for 15 more minutes, um, but typically that still gets me under an hour, which is way better than what I was spending on there. Just because it's the awareness, to Ryan's point, you spend a couple minutes here and there, it adds up to hours. And yeah. I couldn't mm -hmm. believe how I just kept scrolling and that would happen. Yeah. And I do that too. And I've actually not, I've not downloaded, um, I don't have TikTok as an app on my phone because I've ha heard so many other people's stories. But because I have such a long tenure on Facebook and so many of my, especially like older friends, mom friends and stuff are on Facebook and just the critical mass of, uh, of Facebook, I did get into reels. For me, it's like I have seen, I don't know how many variations of the Jennifer Aniston salad um, that apparently she ate every day on the set of huh, Friends. Tell me more. And I made it and it's amazing. And they give you the recipe in like 15 seconds. And so I, yeah. like Casey, justify like, I'm getting real life hacks here, people. Like this is, <laughs> this is functional <laughs> social media. It's just that then after that, I get into the alligators coming out of swamps in Florida and eating people and whatever, you know, so. It kind also of devolves. <laughs> right. I need to know where these are so I don't swim in them. I mean, come on now. So it does devolve pretty quickly. I, I think that can be problematic. So, um, all right. So let's talk, Casey, you kind of kicked it off here um, in a way of sharing actual practical ways of like, how are we tackling this problem? What are some of the ones that you've heard or seen that you know have actually worked for people? And what have you kind of tried to institute for yourself and, and even like the headspace you had to be in to get it done? Yeah, so kind of what I mentioned with the 30-minute timer, I love using automation to help with automation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so why why not use the tools that are at my disposal to help fix the problem that they've caused? And I am also someone who likes to crowd out bad habits with good habits mm -hmm. instead of trying to fill my... Because if I focus too much on the bad habit, they, I tend to fall into a shame spiral. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes I'm saying, well, what do I actually want and how do I create habits that get me there? instead of trying to just stop something else mm -hmm. that I see value in. Like TikTok, I do see some value in. So instead of cutting it out completely, I just don't have time anymore to spend more than 30 minutes on it. 
So besides the timer, I also filled my life with more maybe reading, reading fantasy, things that I enjoy, but just to stay away from the trap of me just trying to stay away from Mm. TikTok or Mm -hmm. social media and instead filling my life with good things. Okay, that's great. Now, Ryan, you apparently did several things pretty successfully. How did you go about this? Even though your YouTube problem, we're still going to fixate on that. So, (laughs) But but go ahead. Talk Uh, about your successes in other areas. What it came down to me was value. There was many things I wanted to do. There was a business I wanted to start. There was family members I wanted to connect with. There was relationships I wanted to foster. There was um, hobbies I wanted to get into. You know, obviously, you know, every guy, oh, we need to work out. We need to do this. (laughs) And again, like I said, I just wasn't able to find the time of the day to do that. But I knew that everyone had the same 24 hours, and I'm seeing people that are doing it more successfully than I am. So how did they magically get 34 hours in a day to do the things that I'm wanting to do? Uh, So it just came down to that audit that I talked about, and then I did a value analysis. So I wrote down all the things that I wanted to do, uh, all the relationships I wanted to foster, all the habits I wanted to pick up, the businesses I wanted to start, everything else. And I wrote down how it would improve my life, how it would improve the life of the person who, like, the relationship I want to foster, how it would improve their life, how it would be a net good to me, the world, the person, whatever it is. And I basically wrote small essays about each of these things. And then after that, I just compared it to TikTok, or I compared it to YouTube Shorts, or I compared it to whatever. And I would write down all the great things about the social media, and then I would read it out loud. So when I say... I want to spend more time focusing on fostering a relationship with my little sister. And here's all the benefits from that. And I read out this small essay. And then I say, and YouTube shorts makes me laugh sometimes. Then when I did that cross analysis, it was not even a comparison. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't focus so much on the, oh, I've been wasting my life because I don't care focusing on regrets. But clearly there is a more valuable thing to focus on now. Mm -hmm. And so... Cutting it off wasn't all that hard whenever I saw the value right there in front of me. Yeah, that's good. I'm taking notes from these guys because yeah. they're giving me some good ideas. For I know. I mean, stuff like I can Ryan apply. sounds like he has a whole business plan around this, so we yeah. better figure yes. this out. Yeah, it's a lot that's of work, good. though. The essays. <laughs> that is. <laughs> okay, maybe you could do bullet journaling. Yeah, I could do. There you go. Okay, John. Something that really helps me is telling somebody what my plan is going to be because mm. I find that I'm much more motivated to say, get off social media if I have another person holding me accountable. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, recently, leading up to Easter, there were a couple weeks where I just really felt convicted that when I'm home in the evenings after work, I need to have my phone off Mm. because I was spending so much time on my phone and just not getting a lot done that I really wanted to get done. Mm -hmm. And it was funny to me how when I had my phone turned off, I would be worrying about all these things of, oh, wait, if if I get an emergency text, which never happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I had to straight up tell some of my family who lives in another state and an accountability group I'm a part of. I just told them, I said, hey, I'm trying this experiment. Will you hold me accountable to it? And I'll let you know how it's going. And thankfully, I was able to do it for a couple of weeks. It, mm. it wasn't easy. There were times I just wanted to get on my phone and escape the world for a little while. But having other people in my life who I knew were willing to ask me about it um, helped tremendously. Yeah, that's a good strategy. And I know um, even a little bit to 
Ryan's point of this in the the workbook that I'm doing with my friend, one of the things that you're supposed to do is write down what are the things that you would like to be doing, like things that you truly enjoy. And well, actually, Casey was alluding to this too. Like, how can you replace things? You don't want to replace a an addictive habit with something you absolutely hate. Like, you know, okay, well, I need to get off of TikTok. So I'm going to start, you know, just bench pressing, you know, stuff at <laughs> 30 minutes a day or whatever. broccoli or yeah, I can't. <laughs> exactly. Or I'm going to start making. Yeah, exactly. Um, but to have those little like triggers that are like, instead of this, I'm going to do this. And to kind of put what are the things in my life that bring joy? I think for me, because a couple of things that I've done recently, um, and I may have mentioned this on a previous show because I've been going after it since the beginning of the year, is I've tried to actually turn my phone entirely off on Sundays. And so, you know, to just go old school, which actually means I don't have a landline, so I'm actually unreachable. But I told like my sisters who were freaking out because apparently they think they have to be able to reach me. I said, well, just contact my housemate, you know, if you have to reach me for something. But I'm really going to try this because just that separation is so helpful. And the reason I remember this is that I remember going on an international vacation years ago and not having my phone because I didn't purchase an international plan and just putting it in the safe in my room. And I remember more about that vacation than so many other vacations I've been on just because of not being distracted, not having, you know, not being that person that was kind of doing double time with where my mind space was. And I was able to be in the moment for everything and enjoy it. And so that's a habit I've put. I'm really trying, a la John, to do the no social um, in the evenings. And I think just for short videos and stuff alone, I'm going to have to come up with something else because I get sucked into it. Because again, I'm looking on my phone for what's tomorrow's schedule? What's my first meeting? What do I have to be? Why is there this cat jumping off a bridge? And all of a sudden <laughs> I'm in, it's 45 minutes later. And I'm like, what is happening yeah. here? So it's just, it's bananas. And I've even heard that if you check your phone first thing in the morning, you're setting yourself up to have a bad mood during that day. Oh, wow. And I've oh, kind wow. of monitored myself in that too. And it's actually proven to be true for me mm-hmm. where I'm already maybe comparing myself on Instagram or already looking at other people's vacation and saying, why do I have to go to work? Mm-hmm. So even first thing in the morning and then last thing at night, those two things are not healthy for you. Yeah. It seems to me that it just, I mean, this sounds so pious and kind of self-righteous, but it just seems like it makes you a more interesting person if you're about other things than just consuming other people's content. I mean, not that, you know, I mean, I guess this would be other people's content, but to to really be able to engage with people on a book that you have read recently or something, you know, to Ryan's point, I want to um, start learning something new, a new hobby that's going to introduce you to new people. And it just makes you more of a well-rounded person overall. I mean, I don't know has that been your experience in interacting with those types of folks or trying to become that definitely it's funny when i look back on conversations that i have with my friends most of the time if we talk about something we've seen on social media it's usually the big announcements it's usually Mm -hmm. so and so just went through a tragic breakup or so and so is having a hard time or even hey did you hear that this couple that we know is expecting. Mm -hmm. So it's those type of things, but the endless scrolling 
whenever we want to have a meaningful conversation, that almost never comes up. Mm-hmm. It's almost always, hey, did you let me tell you about this hike I went on or let me tell you about how church was this past Sunday or mm-hmm. you even mentioned a book you read. I mean, that's a huge thing that I love to talk about with other people. And so those are the things that are truly meaningful in conversations. It's not the, hey, I scrolled on YouTube for three hours. Look mm-hmm. at how awesome my life is. It's, yeah. it's never that. Yeah, for sure. Well, and then you're training your brain to be distracted. So yeah. I find that with me, I can't hold a deep conversation if I'm too much in social media all the time. So I'm having to retrain my brain to have those conversations about what are what are your passions in life and your dreams and what is Jesus doing in your life. Um, that's something that I found the value in not having as much social media is I'm retraining my brain to actually be able to pay more attention. Yeah. And it is, I mean, the brain science around this is really kind of concerning, you guys. I mean, the amount of reliance we have on dopamine hits that come Mm -hmm. off of social media, just likes and comments and whatever, it's really bizarre. And it makes, I remember when, you know, when I was growing up, all the parents were like freaking out about Sesame Street. Like the segments are too short and kids are going to not have attention spans and stuff. And I'm like, oh my goodness, fast forward 30, 40 years. It's really unbelievable what we're concerned with now. So, yeah, that's hard. So, okay, what would be just kind of as we finish out here for the person who's like, okay, I really want to do this. I feel like I'm going to have to go into rehab. I'm totally terrified. (laughs) What would be your one like easy entry if someone could do one thing to just start and see some kind of difference in what would be your your tactic for them to try um, as a first thing, a first step? Write an essay. Multiple essays for Ryan. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you stole my answer. I mean, <laughs> I, I think the thing about not replacing or crowding out uh, bad habits with good habits, I think that also goes into the brain science you were talking about with dopamine hits. Mm-hmm. You have to retrain your brain to be able to see the long term dopamine cycles Mm -hmm. instead of just the short form dopamine cycles, which Mm -hmm. there's a whole science behind that. And one of the ways you've got to do that is by working at something for more than 30 seconds, for more than a minute, Mm -hmm. working at something and getting the success from that and feeling that dopamine hit. So not to like reiterate on what I've already said, but having something that you really want to do in life, for some people it's starting a business, for some people it's learning a new hobby. There's someone out there that wants to learn how to crochet. They just haven't yet. And taking the time away from social media by, and, you know, by writing that essay that I talked about or mm-hmm. the 12 essays <laughs> and by seeing that when you start working hard at something and you mm-hmm. succeed at that, you are retraining your ba- brain piece by piece to say it is okay to take longer to get these more fulfilling dopamine hits. Mm -hmm. And as you start to do that, you just start to feel more complete. Mm -hmm. I don't know another word for Mm -hmm. it, but hard work over a long period of time, giving into success Mm -hmm. in an area, there's just nothing that can replace that. Try as we might with social media or video games. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, some advice I would give that's helped me is not having that shame around social media, but using it as a jumping point. So, for instance, I really wanted to get back into reading, but I had nowhere to start. And because I read a lot of books for work, but I had no fun books. So actually, I was using um, I was using TikTok, book talk, as it's called, um, to find recommendations on different books. And it really it helped me start in that direction. And now I'm, I've overtaken my TikTok time with 
book time hmm. because it it got me thinking towards, oh, I want to be like that person that I saw on TikTok, but in a healthy way mm-hmm. of I want to better myself. Yeah. Um, or same thing with uh, knitting videos I found or the cooking videos. Mm-hmm. If you use it as a jumping point to something in real life, mm-hmm. then I don't see a problem in it. So getting away from the shame of I'm on here again, but instead of uh, what videos can I act on in real life has hmm. really helped me. Okay. I'm curating those. Good. So I actually had to do this a little bit last night because I was texting a few family members and I had been sitting down for the majority of the day and I was actually starting to get a little bit of a headache and I realized, wait a minute, I probably just need to get up and move. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. it, as simple as that sounds, it actually was so helpful. I put my phone down and I left it at home and I went for a walk for probably about 45 minutes last mm-hmm. night. Yeah. And there weren't very many people outside, but it was amazing how much that just cleared my mind mm-hmm. to get outside, just move a little bit. It wasn't very strenuous. And even just taking time to pray and say, Lord, thank you for just the simple beauty of being able to walk around the neighborhood. I mean, it was amazing how refreshing that was. So that's a very simple thing, but it's amazing how just taking that small step to say, you know what, I'm going to go for a walk can make a world of difference. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think the first thing that came to mind for me, and I guess this is playing off of my own um, proclivities, is to find, like, pick three different ways that you can make your phone less accessible to you. So, for example, if you're going to do lunch with a friend, women, put your phone inside your purse in a zippered pocket or snap your purse shut, put it on the floor, put it on the back of your chair. Guys, put it in a zippered pocket, like, so that you would actually have to work to get that phone out and do, because again, the flipping it over, touching it, checking something is so easy and it's so habitual. Or you're going to a friend's house, leave your phone in your stuff at the door or whatever. Go in there and socialize and have fun and don't feel like you have to be checking or for Pete's sake, chronicling your time with friends on social media. Like no one gives a rip. If they weren't invited, they don't want to hear about your time. Okay, so whatever. And then also I think John's point, you know, he he kind of was a springboard for thinking through like, and just go do something active without having to have, and again, you don't need to take a picture of the same tree on your same route again with your phone. You know, it's just like, leave your phone and just enjoy it in the moment. I think that's a great opportunity to do that. So, well, you guys, thank you so much for weighing in on this. I really appreciate you um, being willing to be vulnerable with your own you know, struggles in this area and also just some ideas moving forward. So thanks much. Thanks, Lisa. Absolutely. Thanks My pleasure. Thanks We find out we find everything So to Republicans and to the Democrats I don't care who you are, I don't care where you are Long as you're breathing I'm my brother, me, Kasa, Sukasa, my mama, yo mama We all two dashes, I call that equal White or brown skinned Y'all my people I pray for revolution, I know you wanna rise up See past the color lines that still divide us
Well, folks, we are back. Uh, we have got a culture segment this week that is a continuation of last week. So not that you have to go back and listen to last week first, but definitely do catch it because we are talking uh, last week, this week, and next week with our friend uh, Jonathan Pacluda. He is pastor uh, down in Waco at Harris Creek Baptist Church. He is an author. He's a speaker. He hosts the podcast um, Becoming Something, a very fun show that you've got to check out. And now we are going to be talking about a, we're going to continue the conversation on his book, Why Do I Do What I Don't Want to Do? So JP, welcome back this week. Friend, it's so great to be back. I, I, I always look forward to this, and I'm excited to continue the conversation we started last week. Well, this is great. And, um, you know, sorry that I don't think it's every time you come on the show that we talk about sin, but um, this, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I'm an expert. it's not a, you, you're an expert, I'm an expert, so we could talk about this for days. So uh, this is, this is great. I'm going to have to write the companion book that deals with fear, control, and let's see, what are my, my big three? I could yeah. probably pretty easily come up with them. So Oh, yikes. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, it's just, my, list of my thing is I need my family, like my siblings and my extended family to read my book if I write it on control, because my whole thing is if they would just act in the way I want them to act, it would be so easy. But well, the whole world, you know, if the whole world it, it just yeah. would do everything I wanted to do, it would be a lot easier. Yeah. These people are just going rogue and not taking my incredible advice of how to do life and what they should be doing to make my life easier. So... It bugs it's so me. Frustrating. It's it so totally frustrating. bugs me. I know. So, okay. Well, we have to delve into part two of your book um, because, as I alluded to last week, you kind of broke it up into two sections. Uh, one you actually called Ancient Battles, and then you go from there into kind of some more modern day. Uh, what you call the modern wars. And I want to kick it right off the bat by talking about perception management. This is the minute I even said those two words, I just had social media flash into my head, which is so wrong. Mm -hmm. That's just so bad. Um, but really, I mean, really the whole concept around um, perception management versus you you put uh, authenticity. So that, that war between those two. And I know this is a struggle even among Christians. I know you saw it even as a college student at Baylor. Uh, you share a story about that. But why did you include specifically perception management as one of the primary modern wars? There's a story that fascinates me in the Scripture, and if you think about the book of Acts, what's happening in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes to the apostles, and then the church is born, and it just begins to explode. And so Peter preaches, and 3,000 believe, and people are getting baptized, and church is growing, and it's like Acts 2, 3, 4, church is just exploding. I mean, they're they're under persecution, but it, it doesn't stop people from wanting to know more about this Jesus that raised from the dead. And then you get to Acts chapter 5, and what happens at the end of Acts chapter 4 is a guy named Barnabas, the son of encouragement, you know, he sells a field and he gets some money and he gives it to the apostles. He lays it at their feet. And we know that the church kind of had all things in common. It's this beautiful community. And then what happens in Acts chapter 5 is all of this momentum. I mean, it, it seems as though the church is just growing at 100 thousand miles an hour. And all of this momentum just comes to a screeching halt with this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And they saw Barnabas, you know, give some money to the church and get praised. And so they're like, hey, we should do that. So they sell a field, they get some money, they give it to the church, lay it at the apostles' feet, but they held some back. 
And it says they lied to the Holy Spirit, and I think the motivation for their lying, for the sin of lying, the the sin behind the sin, was actually they were wanting to manage perception. They wanted people to think of them as generous. The next scene, and we read this, and we kind of blow past it, but it is crazy, is Ananias, he falls dead, and they carry him out. And then she walks in, Sapphira, she lies, she falls dead, like she dies right there. And they carry her out. And I think God is saying something to us as a church is saying, hey, I don't want you to play religious games. I'm not looking for you to manage perception. Jesus' whole ministry, like he got most amped up toward the Pharisees saying, hey, you whitewashed tombs, you you brood of vipers, you you old wineskins, like you, you try to make yourselves look good on the outside. Meanwhile, you're, there's death and decay on the inside. And so the scripture is just really clear, like this matters to God. And I think, as you said, just with social media today, uh, this is something, and we are constantly living for the approval of others and, and jumping through these hoops to manage perception. Yeah. Well, and don't you think it's almost like we have the luxury? I mean, I don't know, this wouldn't have helped Ananias and Sapphira, but it's like today we have the luxury of living so much in isolation and managing kind of images. Because I used to think, you know, now I have a housemate, but when I lived alone, I was always like, I can put up with people until they start irritating me and then I can just go home and be done with them, you know, and it's my way of escaping them or, but again, we're, we're so able to cloak things or to hide things or to be the put on the front when we go to an event, but then come back and do, you know, whatever we want or be, you know, put forward this, you know, we can, we can all be interesting for about 20 minutes and then it. You know, then eventually that's going to fade. So, so what are you saying? What are some antidotes to this? Because I don't see our culture being helpful in this way at all. And quite frankly, given a couple of the examples you give in your book about even pastors who were cloaking extramarital affairs and other things that have gone on by just saying, I don't owe you an explanation. I don't owe you the truth. How do we do this differently? Yeah, I think accountability and transparency. I don't want to play games, and if there's a criticism brought against me, it's usually that I'm too honest or too raw. Um, uh, as a pastor, I've forfeited my right to privacy. People kind of don't love it when I say that, but I mean, it's just true. I mean, there's not a lot in my life, there, there's nothing in my life that's closed off to everyone. Any trunk, you know, any any box with a lock on it, there's somebody that has the key other than me that they can look at my, you know, text messages, my DMs, you know, whatever that is. And so that, that accountability is great, but it's only going to be as good as, you know, when I'm outward facing, uh, what I don't want to do, Lisa, is I don't want to get on that stage and put on my preacher voice and my preacher clothes and my preacher act. When I step off that stage, if you see me at a restaurant, I want to be the same person that you saw on the stage. And so that means that I'm really what it means is I'm committed to disappointing people <laughs> because mm-hmm. because I'm human. And so I need I need to let everyone know that. We've got a membership class tonight, and that's one of the things that I'm going to tell them is like, hey, if you're looking for the church with the perfect pastor, you haven't found it. This is not it. What this is, is I want you to know that I'm going to remind you repeatedly that I'm not perfect. And when I do sin, I'm going to ask you for forgiveness. That's going to be a really common practice in our relationship is I'm going to say, hey, look at that. I did that, and I'm really sorry, and will you please forgive me? And I, I have accountability in place to make sure that that, that sin is not, you know, habitual. Um, it's not, you know, something grievous that uh, that should be easily overlooked, those kinds of things. 
And so I, I think, you know, if somebody said along the way, know yourself, like yourself, be yourself, that's pretty surface level. But I think just it's a good starting place to understand, man, God made us. Like, he gave us giftings. We're not all the same. We don't need to covet somebody else's giftings. We need to understand and make a real account, an audit of our own giftings, and figure out how we use those giftings to build the kingdom as God has intended for us to do. And so, you know, Ephesians 2.10 says to to walk in the good works which he's prepared in advance for us to walk in. And so that's what I, I think. It's just uh, transparency and authenticity. Yeah. Okay, this next one that I want to touch on is one that people are going to take issue with because I feel like this is often spiritualized. You actually call out busyness and contrast it with rest. But we know, JP, that a lot of people are busy with very good things. (laughs) And they're going to argue, you know, well, okay, what am I supposed to do? Quit my small group and quit serving at church and quit. I mean, I have to follow at least one Netflix series, okay? And, you know, I'm in Gen Z, so I've got to hustle because my friend who graduated college last year already pulls a bigger paycheck than I do. So what in the world are you telling me to do? I mean, as we're looking at um, busyness, JP, how do we even inventory busyness in our own lives? Because I think it has become the new normal. And I don't think the average person listening, you know, might they're going to say they're busy because that's what they have to answer when everyone asks them, oh, well, how are you doing? Oh, good, busy, you know, whatever. And they might even feel some precursors of, of burnout because of the pace they're running, but they just think it's normal. That's what, how they're supposed to live. Yeah, it's, it is. You have some really wise questions. And so let me say a couple things. Yeah, I think you're right. Everything you said is right. And there's another side to it where I think Sabbath is such a hot topic right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are trying to figure out how to do that. It's almost like, hey, I'm trying to figure out how to cram Sabbath into my busy schedule. I think busyness for a lot of us doesn't look like necessarily picking up a shovel and digging ditches. Uh, it looks like being really busy with our mind, always thinking, and the slides always changing as we scroll through TikTok or Instagram, and we're looking at different reels. It's almost like an allegory for our metaphor for our lives that we're, we're moving in from conversation to conversation, person to person, you know, really, um, like we, as we talked about perception management, almost like act to act, like who do I need to be in this room? Now, who do I need to be at home? Now, who do I need to be at work? Do I need to be in the conference room? And that is all absolutely and utterly exhausting. So I want to acknowledge that we all run different paces. We all have a different capacity. What we don't have is a different amount of time. And so we all have 24 hours that we have to manage. We all need to get a good night's sleep. And so we we need to prioritize rest in that format. And then we also, regardless of how fast we're going to run and how much we're going to carry, we need to start by sitting still. And it's been said, I have so much to do today. I'll spend the first three hours in prayer. And that's like a picture of what I think the Christian life should look like, not necessarily three hours, but it's like, I have so much to do today. I need to start my day by sitting still. And I'm not trying to be a legalistic with the time. I do know that Jesus often would wake up early that, it, you know, he talks about giving the first fruits in the morning, but um, I don't necessarily care when you do it. I'm just saying that if you're running by your strength all the time and you feel like you can't stop, then you're going to have a hard time justifying the reality that you believe there's a God who controls everything. Because it sounds like you think you are that God and that you need to control everything. And that's not going to go well for you. It didn't go well for me. Last week, we talked about me hitting that wall at 100 miles an hour and the burnout that I experienced there because of my own pride. And that's what busyness is rooted in pride. I've heard it's an acronym, busy, being under Satan's yoke. And the example that the scripture gives us is, you know, two sisters, Mary and Martha, 
And Jesus turns to the one who sat with him, who was still with him, and he said, she has done what is better, and it will be rewarded. And so Jesus is telling us something really important there. And he's like, hey, I don't, I don't want all your, your efforts, you know. Sometimes I just want your, your relationship, your time for you to sit still with me and to talk with me as though you don't have anything else going on. And so I think it's that we have to change our mind on this issue of busyness. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting how, even as you were talking, it just reminds me how many different sins feed into this one and how, you know, whether they're precursors to it or or whatever. But, you know, you mentioned pride, but also, you know, I mean, much of the cause of busyness is a, a compulsion to people, please. Like, we can't say no. We have to, again, that perception management or just straight up sloth. I mean, anyone... <laughs> anyone can identify with this if they're sitting in front and they've just got their Netflix queue or they feel like they're just going to veg out and make the excuse that, oh, you know, I've had such a hard day or a hard week or whatever. And I think it is, you know, it's very easy, again, that creep uh, to justify the creep of it taking over your time and your heart and not choosing to be present and to take marching orders from God himself, as you said. I mean, I think it was Martin Luther that said the whole, I got to pray three hours each day. And then he was just like, then he would sit there and be like, okay, God, what next? And I mean, I guess yeah. God eventually told him to, you know, <laughs> write a billion books and basically start the Reformation with a bunch of dudes and do all that because he had plenty of time to accomplish purposeful things. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I've heard he, it was misattributed to, to him, so I was, wasn't was sure whether to say that or not. It was, it was Martin Luther, but uh, uh, the quote will preach regardless of who said it first. Exactly. It wasn't me. I know that. I know I didn't say it, so yeah. I figured, well, I'll just attribute it to someone else. That's who I'd heard. So. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I do want to talk, uh, too, before we finish out uh, this interview about um, cynicism, because one of the, um, you know, one of the final ones that you address here in this section is cynicism and optimism. And I think cynicism has become, again, one of these uh, justifiable vices in our culture today of, you know, uh, doomsday, everything is terrible, um, how that plays out and stuff. So um, I think it's great that you can uh, include that one because it is so helpful and so applicable in that sense. And so talk about, I, I mean, you actually had an experience with a boss kind of that you tell in the book, uh, your boss, Ken the boss, um, and that I thought was a good precursor to kind of opening up a conversation around that. So tell us that story just quickly. Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a huge leadership myth and leadership such a big word, right? And so that that whole story is illustrating, hey, when somebody on the team is so worried and so concerned about doomsday and, hey, it's never going to work out, we're not going to hit quota, and, and what they're doing is they're just constantly putting this heavy weight on your shoulders. Well, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I know that we really wrestle with that scripture. Hey, what is Jesus saying there? What's he what, what's he trying to communicate to us? Well, there is this message of positivity in the Scripture. Now, we can over-index on that and make that say something that it wasn't saying, but here's what I will say. You know, we talk about, is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? I, I will tell you, the glass is half full because the tomb is empty. And so, because Jesus raised from the dead, He's given us the hope of eternal life, which means what is in front of us is infinitely better than what is behind us or what we're sitting in. And so we want to see our present 
through the lens of our future hope, the future hope that we have in Christ. And it's similar to what people experience when they're about to go on vacation. You know, they're, hey, I'm about to go on vacation. I'm, I've got a trip to the Caribbean schedule, the plane flights, all that. I'm so excited. And, and I'm just not too worried about what I'm focused today because I'm about to go on vacation. Well, for the believer, that is the person who has trusted in the death and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. What's in front of us is this eternal vacation forever and ever in the presence of God. And so we, we, we don't just let go of today. Uh, we don't just not care about today. We live today in light of that future hope. And, you're, I mean, cynicism has, it is crippling. It's everywhere. You, we, last week you mentioned Twitter. It's like, man, I, can, I can't go there, honestly, because it is just so much. It is everyone's voice to poke holes in everything that's wrong with the world. And so it's everywhere, and, and I'm telling you, as we feed these thoughts of criticism and critical spirits, they grow, and we become discontent. It is taking you somewhere. It is not an innocent sin. It does have victims, primarily you, the, the critical, cynical person. And so I hear so often, well, that's just my wiring. I'm an Enneagram 6. You know, here's what's going on. And I'm like, listen, we all have we all have wirings and predispositions and introvert, extrovert, and different different labels that we, we might use to describe us. But when our natural disposition is negative, then I, I don't think we are reflecting enough about the goodness of God and the hope that we have. Because what I see in the scriptures is whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, to think about these things. I see, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like These are the, the commands and the ideas and the realities presented to us in the Scripture. And so if we do walk around looking at a situation and determining what's wrong with it, that's going to impact who we are and where we go and how we feel. And so I just would caution others against that. Yeah. What is a good way? I'm just thinking of this because, I mean, this is so pervasive. I mean, you see it at work, you see it in the church, you see it in your friend groups. It's almost become kind of like a a sexy posture attitude to have of being so, you know, uh, you know, saying I'm not, I'm not a cynic. I'm a realist, or something like that. I'm not a pessimist. Yeah, I'm a realist. Exactly. What? How can yeah. someone call this out in a group of friends or whatever, and just say, you know, how do we do this differently without being like the self righteous jerk or the one who's, you know, <laughs> kind of naming names and stuff? What would be your your yeah. advice for that? Yeah, I mean, amongst believers, right? Amongst Christians, I think you start with the fruit of the spirit: love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. What I don't see in there is anything critical, cynical, you know, negative. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, hey, hey, guys, man, we believe in this, the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of God. Hey, I don't feel like our conversation is marked by the joy of the Lord. Like, it, it just seems like when we get together, we want to talk about all that's wrong in the world. And there are some things that are wrong in the world but I don't want to lose sight of the future hope that we have. And so we need to balance the the news, you know, the news that we're watching and listening to and sharing with others. We need to balance that with the truth. 
the truth that God has an inheritance for us stored up forever and that he wins and that he's going to redeem all of this and that he has plans for us, that he has good works that he's prepared in advance for us to walk in. And so he, he started a work in us that he's going to finish. All of this is really, really good news, not to mention that he's paid for our sins on the cross and the empty tomb. And so with that good news, like that's, I hope that all of my relationships and conversations with believers are marked by the gospel. And that has to permeate everything else we do and say and think for that matter. And so, you know, I'm not trying to be holier than thou or or even judgmental, but I think questions are really powerful. Hey guys, do y'all think we're too negative? Like that's just a powerful question. Mm -hmm. Hey, when we get together, when we have coffee here, do you think that our conversations are more negative or more positive? Are they more cynical or are they more hopeful? Are they more pessimistic or are they more optimistic? And if somebody says, well, I think they're, they're real, you know, I think we're realists, say, great. When, so heaven is real, right? Paradise is real. When's the last time we spent some time talking about that and reflecting on that? And I think that that's absolutely necessary for every believer to endure this broken world. Yeah. I'm just reminded as you say that of, um, I heard it said once by a pastor that, you know, if we are heirs with Christ, if we have been plucked out of our sin and given a new heart and we have uh, an eternal home and we're part of God's family, we have won the cosmic lottery. Like, that's the way he said it, of like, we have been chosen. Um, we, we have won the cosmic lottery. And uh, so cool to to see that. And as a result, because we've won the cosmic lottery and we have that to look forward to, this is what you were saying, I can serve this person. I can forgive this person. I can share my stuff. I can give this up, you know, because it's all temporal. It's all, this is just for the here and now, you know, I have so much more to look forward to. And so such a great word and a great reminder. Um, Thank you for that. All right, folks, um, that is the end of this week's uh, interview with JP. So always a great time hanging with him. I want to remind you, like I did last week, that his book, Why Do I Do What I Don't Want to Do? Um, Replace Deadly Vices with Life-Giving Virtues is available to you this week from Boundless for a gift of any amount. Go to Boundless.org, search for 797 this week's episode, and you just give a gift to Boundless, whatever you can afford, literally, we will send you a copy of JP's book as our thank you to you. So JP, thanks again for being part of this and for penning this book, um, really for our edification. Friend, thank you so much for having me back. And I look forward to our next conversation. substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen but i understand that you cannot comprehend how i will put faith in something i can't see well, think about it you breathe in you breathe out that's air and snow down in and out in your mouth you can't see it i trust what he say he's not in the grave rose on the third day best believe it it might take some time for you to change your mind you might be on your deathbed might be on your last yeah. day and you will ask the question how did i get here where am i going when my heart stops but you should figure that out way before then because time is your enemy and death is his friend and you can live your best life right here right now fall into the arms of your father and he'll show you how i can die.
Well, folks, we are finishing out the show, and here we are with our inbox segment, which is always a question from one of you, our listeners. And so um, we have another dating question this week, and we have got one of our counselors, Carrie Ajo here. Carrie, good to have you on The Boundless Show. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Absolutely. All right. Well, we have a listener who wants to know, since most people date to find a mate, is there anything wrong with dating if you're not ready to get married yet? So I think my short answer first is no, there's nothing wrong with dating if you aren't ready to get married yet. But I want to unpack that um, because I want to define what wrong is first. Wrong meaning uh, synonymous with being incorrect or dishonest or unjust. So if you insert those synonyms into the same question, is it an incorrect method of dating? Is it a dishonest way of dating? Is it an unjust way of dating? And I would say no, I think that's pretty strong language to describe maybe uh, maybe casual dating. But I want to broaden that view as well, um, because I think at the end of my uh, talk on this, I want to really define what might actually be incorrect, unjust, or a dishonest way of dating. And I think you're going to probably have different views on this broadcast and even this listener base, but... Um, I think we do have to take into consideration generational and cultural views of dating, um, that these views may or may not fall into the right and the wrong category. And these variables should be considered in this question as well. You know, for instance, I know this isn't your listener base, but the implications of dating as a widow at 75 are going to look very different um, than dating as a 25-year-old young adult. So um, having said all of that, Um, I'll say that I think most folks that I know, myself included, who are married today did not marry the first person that they dated, um, even seriously. Most of us didn't marry the second, third, fourth, or fifth person um, that we seriously dated. Some do if they're, in fact, high school sweethearts and and proceed to marriage. But a fun fact, less than 2% of marriages are as a result of high school relationships. So that means 98% of us, myself included, went through quite a process of learning um, through dating, processes that we sometimes liked and sometimes didn't like. Um, But we learned in real time what we could compromise on, what we couldn't compromise on. Um, And, you know, many of us actually kind of made some pretty foolish mistakes along the way, too. Um, But we learned through that. We learned externally in a sense of what we were looking for in a spouse or a mate, but we also learned a lot internally um, as far as um, who we were in relationships, what we valued, the things that we did and didn't compromise on. And I think that process can be sometimes a little bit painful, um, but I also think God really uses that. So I would say that to believe that dating for marriage as being the sole purpose of dating, as opposed to being a purpose of dating, is kind of a good, you know, a good clarification. Um, If we're only dating as the sole purpose, um, meaning that the end result is always going to be marriage, I think we're undercutting the essential learning process that's actually important in trying to get from one point to the other. Um, It's like pushing to get to an end point without appreciating the process. Uh, I think of if you made a decision to run a marathon and you didn't actually want to do any training, you just wanted to you know, win the race, it's going to be a pretty uh, unhealthy and miserable experience to get to that end goal. So I would say it's similar uh, for dating and marriage. And, and I would argue that actually undercutting uh, that purpose that God actually has for us in learning about ourselves through relationships with others um, is sort of undercutting wisdom. I was actually 
single until I was 34. And so I had plenty of experience in my 20s of dating people that I didn't actually, you know, end up marrying. And I asked the Lord at one point why he would allow me to go through some, you know, pretty painful uh, breakups in this process. And I felt like that he said to me at one point, because you wouldn't have gained a heart of wisdom. If I had just told you the end result, you wouldn't have gained any wisdom. And that's what I'm after in my people. I really want them to grow in wisdom. And I think we need to remember that God uses relationship, whether that's through the local church or our friends and family, uh, our coworkers, even our enemies, um, that God uses that in order to, um, to build wisdom in us. So skipping ahead to what might be a wrongful scenario uh, for dating like this would be, that might be back to that definition of dishonest, incorrect, unjust, would be if you're not clear about those expectations at the start of the relationship. So I think it's really important as you're putting yourself out there to date, to be really clear, I think it would be considered unjust and unfair if you were stringing somebody along um, in a relationship because you weren't necessarily ready for marriage, but you weren't clear about that. Um, And then they can decide if where they're at in life matches uh, where you're at in life. Um, Another uh, consideration that might be a wrongful dating scenario might be this sort of reasonable amount of time. Um, And I understand that's going to be very subjective, but if you're casually dating um, for a really long time, maybe the issue is actually commitment. Maybe the issue might be rooted in a fear, a fear of divorce, um, maybe stemming from your own broken family and your own story. Um, So I don't think dating um, and putting off marriage because of your own brokenness would be considered a fair, uh, a fair or just way of dating. So, and and I think it's probably mentioned on this broadcast a lot. If that's something as you're self-reflecting that may be an issue for you, that's something you probably need to process mm-hmm. with a counselor, a mentor, you know, someone outside of yourself, um, and pursue healing for that for yourself. So yeah. Yeah. Well, good thoughts. Thank you so much for weighing in on that. And yeah, I think it is true because a lot of people will say, I mean, they use people as a placeholder, you know, or it becomes like, well, I don't, you're definitely someone I wouldn't want to marry, but I just want someone to make out with every Friday <laughs> night. So again, you can tell, I mean, right. there. it's not that, you know, dating, as, as Carrie was saying, for that purpose is necessarily sinful, but there can be a lot of sinful attitudes and actions, I think, surrounding that. So well, thanks again for saying that. Okay, folks, um, that is it for this week's Boundless Show. Again, please find us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. Tell your friends about the show. Maybe you can share something from the show on your own social. And in the meantime, we will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. God wants true disciples, ones that think like him, talk like him, walk like him. Disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.